It's time to wake up to Tequila Sunrise. Greg White here, and I have spent my career starting, leading, deploying, and investing in supply chain tech. So we take a shot and talk founders, execs, investors, and companies in this hot industry. If you want a taste of how tech startup growth and investment is done, join me for another blinding Tequila Sunrise. Do you have your shot glass? We have to get into the right frame of mind for this. (laughs) (sighs) Hey, Corinne, how are you? I'm good. How are you today, Greg? I am good. Well, let's see. Do we? Oh my gosh, people are joining fast. So today, this live stream is a tequila sunrise jam. So it's an ask us anything episode. Corinne has agreed to join us again. I'm not sure what she's thinking, but I really appreciate you for doing that. The esteemed Corinne Bursa, 2020 supply chain pro to know, the supply chain pro to know, and of course, the host of Tech Talk Digital Supply Chain Podcast. So thanks for joining us. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. It's a great day for supply chain. I got to tell you, though, I'm looking forward to the questions from our community. I'm a little nervous about questions from Greg White, just so you know. (laughs) Well, yeah. So in case anyone's not familiar, so we're doing this on Tequila Sunrise. We're going to do a live stream or two a month, different formats. But this time we have just gotten so many questions from our community over the last year or years. So many things happening recently and so many things changing. I thought it would just be a great opportunity to just allow you to ask us anything. And Corinne, we've both got questions here that we've been getting over the months. It gave us some opportunity to go back through our email and LinkedIn messaging and and pick up some of those questions, right? Yeah, it was so interesting to see um, when they come in and what they're related to and you know, and really, they have run the gamut. I'm sure we'll get to a few of those today. Some of them are really, really random, and others, you know, I think are questions lots of people want to know the answers to. So maybe we'll get to to work in a few of those through the session. Yeah, no doubt. So with us already, Sophia, welcome, Sophia. I assume you're still in Guadalajara. Peter, Bole, Azalea, Gary, Pratik, Pris Dean. Hey, Pris, welcome aboard. If this is your first Tequila Sunrise or even Supply Chain Now show, hang with us. This could be a little (laughs) bit wild. Um, I see Gary Smith. uh, Gary Smith joined as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So let me me do the programming notes here. Got to do the official stuff. I'm Greg White. Almost. (laughs) I forgot that the last time we did. So I'm glad I introduced myself. And of course, the lovely and talented Corinne Bursa. Some programming notes. Of course, if you like this show, or even if you don't, we have lots of other shows that you might like better. So you can find our shows on anywhere you get podcasts or YouTube. So especially Supply Chain Now, Tequila Sunrise, and Tech Talk all have YouTube channels where you can see this as well as listen to it. So be sure to subscribe. You can subscribe to the shows individually, or you can subscribe to Supply Chain Now. That way you don't miss a thing, and you're always sure to raise your supply chain IQ. So we're going to take any questions that you have. And 
we got a few in writing. So I thought maybe that I would start with some of the easy ones that we got from folks that have that kind of prompted this show, right? By sending us so many questions. I've really got three pages of questions. So Corinne, would it be okay if I hit you with not a philosophical one, but kind of a career one real quick? Sure, go ahead. So this one was actually asked of me, but I think I would love to hear what your answer is. And I'll, I'll answer it as well if your answer isn't better, a whole <laughs> lot better than mine. So, you know, we talk a lot with people about careers and, and mentorship and things like that. And one of the questions that I've gotten is, who is your mentor? So I, you know, I had to think really long and hard about that because there have been so many and there continue to be so many, but is there anyone that just jumps out at you as a significant mentor in your career? It's funny because I wouldn't really call him a mentor. He's not somebody I have regular kind of cadence-based exposure to, but it is a guy that I worked with probably two decades ago who I think did a great job of asking the right questions and mm. forcing me to think through the answers and the, the possibilities. And, and I really feel like he brought out the best in me. So when you think yeah. of, of mentors, that's one thing that I look for, not somebody who's going to give me the answers, but somebody who's going to help develop those skills in, in me so that I can you know, be more effective in the future. And, you know, that was the first, that was the first face that popped up when you just asked me that. And I don't get to see him enough or talk to him enough, but I do reach out to him, you know, with big decision, big business decisions from time to time. And he's always got a great perspective. Yeah. You know, that's good. I think I am, I'm a constant observer and, Mm -hmm. and also I don't internalize a lot of things terribly deeply. So I am constantly learning. I, even some things that I've learned before, I can learn it again. What a benefit. Yeah. So, you know, I, I thought about this question when it came in and I thought almost everyone I interact with is a mentor in some way, right? You, you know, in working with you here, mm-hmm. you know, Ken Walters, former COO at, at Infor helped me get into the advising thing that I'm doing. If you can call it work for joy now, and, you know, Scott, when it comes to this, you know, to this industry and, and knowing what to do, just so many people. And, and, and I think you probably want someone when you think about mentorship that can do it formally for you. So I think of Tandria Bellamy, who's great. She was a great mentor to so many people at UPS. She continues to be. And, you know, and, and as she goes into academia after she's retired, mm-hmm. I know that she will shape a lot of lives as she has already. And she has very distinct thoughts about what makes mentorship effective. But I think you you need to kind of find someone that you connect with that's invested enough in you if you really want to have kind of like what you're talking about, Mm -hmm. about, Corinne, uh, an actual mentor. So appreciate that question being asked. I I can't really reveal who asked (laughs) (laughs) mostly because I didn't write it down, but it was in in LinkedIn messaging. But I did see... This is an interesting question from Dominic. So Dominic, thanks for lobbing this out there. So what's the future of supply chain tech with automation taking over? Mm. You know, that's a really broad question. I I can tell you what some of the, what I believe some of the specific things are. Corinne, do you, you want to take a shot at that or you want me to handle it or? I mean, I'm happy to go first. I'm sure you'll have 
a unique perspective as well. So I'm with you, Dominic. Automation is a big part of what's happening, but that automation is being fueled by different technology advancements. So whether it's artificial intelligence or machine learning or the ability to harness larger data pools. And most companies today, those are structured data pools. I think we'll get to a point where that unstructured data is going to come in and add some valuable insights as well. And then I also think it's going to be about speed, meaning faster evaluation of multiple business scenarios and the ability to do continuous planning, right, based on the latest signals. Mm. But I still need to do cadence-based planning. I still need my monthly, my quarterly, my annual. That's still critically important for companies, especially companies that are publicly held and, and need to closely monitor their financial performance. So that's probably a lot of different factors, and it's going to drive automation and analytics. But I think we as professionals then get to do the really interesting things, right? We can take care of some of that number crunching with greater confidence, then the systems are going to serve up, you know, scenarios for us to consider and think through and add, you know, that tribal knowledge to as well. What do you say? Yeah, I I think similar to what you said, I think automation is going to supplant some of the the mundane, the boring, the too expensive, too complex, too dangerous, too undesirable things that humans do today. Mm -hmm. I think also it is, you know, and that comes in a lot of ways, the repetitive and non where human interaction doesn't add value. I was talking to somebody about RPA, right? So uh, robotic process automation. Do you really need a person looking at every invoice to decide how to pay it? If you can scan that invoice and and decide if it fits rules. That's just one example, right? You know, it does. And boy, this could be controversial, but it's coming. We don't know. I don't think anybody knows when, but does automated transportation make the roads safer, make make for other and better jobs for for the next generation, which really doesn't want to be truck drivers, mm-hmm. right? Uh, solve some of the issues that we have with capacity because we have a driver shortage already. And that mm-hmm. genera- generation that has embraced that as a career is, is exiting the workforce at a rapid, rapid rate. You know, do you solve some of the safety concerns there? I have a particularly I have a particular awareness there because two times on I-16, where the the highway that my daughter took to go to to college, carloads of children of of yeah. students were killed because a driver wasn't paying attention on the road. So, and and they are under such strain. Not as much now, I think. Hopefully, not as much now because of limitations of service hours and that sort of thing. So, I think there are a ton of things where. A drone can do it so that somebody doesn't have to climb a ladder or, you know, there's all kinds of computer vision now is one Mm -hmm. of the things that we talk about, right? Using the security cameras to do other things than security to identify products and optimal stacking. So, you know, the, the future of supply chain tech is bright, undoubtedly, is clearly being demonstrated. You know, somebody asked us a what's hot and what's not question, Corinne. And I don't want to go into the that too much here, but certainly that is coming up. And there is there is a ton of interest in the investment in the 
in the marketplace in supply chain tech. So mm -hmm. automation means that a lot of things, as you said, that humans are better at will be able to be done by humans. A lot of the augmentation of technology that's required of humans, for instance, AI, we talk a lot about AI. I love to tell people, and if you've watched this show much, you know that I think of AI more as a child that needs to be taught than a computer overlord. Someday, maybe a computer overlord, but it really needs to incorporate the tribal knowledge and the expertise of those in supply chain today to be able to do its thing. So. There's a whole lot more we could see. We, you and I could keep going on this and we wouldn't get to any of the other questions, but listen. Yeah, that's right. There's one really important question that people want to know. And since Sylvia Judy is with us. Oh, right. I, I think it's time. I think. Well, we yes, Dave asked me this yesterday. So I just want everyone to know that I did receive and I have sampled the jam and I'm going to do it here again. And I can tell you, this is delicious blueberry jam. I asked Sylvia what her secret ingredient is because there is clearly one in here. So Corinne, can you take it for just a second? Absolutely. So if, if anybody hasn't met Sylvia yet, she is a, she's a regular in our community and she's always adding valuable insights, but she's got a certain talent around making jam. And it's come up a few times in conversation and she was generous enough to send some to Greg, I say generous enough, Greg prompted this on multiple occasions. <laughs> I begged for it. <laughs> and uh, and he received it, I think, yesterday, right? Or was yeah, it yesterday. Yeah. Okay. And, and he did a whole unboxing routine for us, which was awesome. But it stirred up a lot of questions and comments about what's the flavor, how do you rate it, all that good stuff. And Greg put it off until today. And Sylvia's with us. So yeah, so let me give you my review. So first of all, it, it's delicious. It comes in these cute little jars. I have tried it both fresh and refrigerated now. I can tell you that Corinne laughed at me when I told her how I do this. I tasted it with a spoon, with dry toast, with lightly buttered toast, and with heavily buttered toast. I would strongly <laughs> recommend it. Strongly recommend it with dry toast. It's actually quite delicious. And the flavor is really good. It's not overly sweet. It's sweet enough for you Southerners. I can tell you this, this is the litmus test for me. Yesterday, I had the choice between a delicious chocolate cake and, and blueberry jam. And I picked this blueberry jam for mm. a second. <laughs> so yeah, it's spectacular. Just enough, just enough fruit parts in it to, you know, so that you know it's legit jam and not overly sweet. I think it would be fantastic and I'm going to try it on a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I God, I hope my aunt is not watching. She will be so upset. Greg, um, I can remind you, that's not a single serving size that, that she sends you. <laughs> yeah, it just, yeah. It's about a third gone already. Yeah, right. I got it out over a day or two, okay? Not well, all. I had to sample it appropriately. So. <laughs> all right. Hey, I've got a question for you. And this is a question I get a lot. Okay. It's something you and I probably say a lot. I know our industry uses this term a lot, but Donna asked me this question just a few weeks ago, and it was, what exactly does digital supply chain mean? So you talk a lot about both physical and physical logistics, and we talk a lot about digital supply chain yeah. here on Supply Chain Now and in the various, in the various programs. You got a short description of what digital supply chain means? I feel like that could be a test since you're the digital supply chain expert, but I'll take a cut at it. 
Okay. I, you know, I think, gosh, there. You know, this this is really murky water. And Tom Raftery has joined us, and and I think of other folks who are really like Kevin Jackson, who are into mm -hmm. digitalization. To me, digital supply chain is using technology where previously manual processes were used or human intellect was used. That's what I think in terms of digital supply chain. That's the simplest way I can describe it. I'm sure there's much more to it than that, but it is not a spreadsheet. I can assure you that it is not using a spreadsheet to do it. It, it, it is advancing the process in some way with technology. I don't know, Corinne? Yep. Fix, so, fix so I, I think that's a really good broad description of it. And so Typically, when we're talking about digital supply chain, we talk about having that digital model of the physical network, right? And we're going to include in that key customers, key manufacturing or distribution or supplier points across that global network. So if you can digitize that, you can start modeling and expanding and working through in a digital format changes and scenarios for the business, whether it's a change in demand or a new product introduction or changing a supplier out or changing your distribution routes out yeah. to your customers. The real leverage there is I can do it faster and evaluate a multitude of scenarios because as an executive, I'm then going to have greater confidence about the decisions we make and implement in the physical world. So I like to summarize it sometimes as replacing inventory with information yeah. right? and the ability to leverage that um, to look at a multitude of business opportunities, whether it's driving revenue or increasing profits or improving customer service levels. And it touches all of these supply chain disciplines right up until the customer opens the box and samples the product and the product is in perfect order in the right quantity, the right flavor, and all those good things that Judy made sure you had. Right. right. Blueberry is the right flavor. All come yeah. together. Yeah. And, you know, you made me think of this whole concept of digital twins, right? Where you can yes. literally model a physical world in, in a digital world. As you're talking about inventory planning and things like mm -hmm. that, it's the ability to see physically or virtually see what your physical world will look like. I, I don't know. Corinne, as you worked in the past, we constantly got the question, do we still need to build that new warehouse we were thinking of? Mm -hmm. And, you know, the truth is we could tell them from analytics, it doesn't look like it because you're not going to cube out this warehouse. But if you could physically see that, that's so, so powerful, right? And there are lots of tools like that. All right, here's here's a big one. You're going to love this okay. one. Oh, bring it on. Big, broad <laughs> question for you right now. So where should supply chain practitioners be focused for 2021? I'm going to say supply chain, Tom. <laughs> uh, where should they be focused? Uh, to me, I'll, I'll tell you that this is a realization that I came to ages ago, and I, it was game changing for me in regard to supply chain. And that is recognizing that supply chain is a risk management exercise, not a cost optimization exercise. And let me explain that because those two things are often at cross purposes in the common reality or common sense of supply chain. But the truth is you are always trying to mitigate risk. One of the discussions that I've had is the supply chain started very simply. I wanted jam. Sylvia lived next door. She made jam and 
handed it to me and I gave her some coins for it. End of supply chain, right? We have complicated the supply chain by wanting blueberry jam out of blueberry season or wanting oranges out of orange season in the northern hemisphere. So we have to get them from the southern hemisphere, things like that, or wanting luxury items or customized items and things like that. And that's what complicates the supply chain. So when you think of it from that perspective, you have to think about the risk that's inserted in the process because there was very little risk between me and Sylvia for this transaction historically or, or even now. But there was a little bit more risk now because Sylvia lives in Charleston. I live in Atlanta. She had to ship it. It's in glass containers. But to mitigate that risk, she triple packed it and shipped it with fragile all over it and that sort of thing. So when we think of risk management as the key to supply chain, that changes the perspective. Now, we have to acknowledge that excessive cost is a risk, excessive inventory or stock outs, or you know, there are a whole bunch of risks. But when you think of the supply chain from a risk perspective, that changes how you attack it. Of course, you want to minimize excessive costs and any excesses in the supply chain and minimize other risks, which I see as risk. Excesses are also risk. Yep. But remember, what you're trying to do is get the jam to Lana. So, <laughs> right? This is job one. Job one is getting the product to the consumer. I'm so glad she sent this for so many reasons, but what a great, right? What a great problem. It is. So I agree with you on your fundamental premise that supply chain is not just about cost. In fact, cost has moved down in the business drivers around supply chain improvements or supply chain transformations. It is all about serving the customer better, introducing new products and, and driving differentiation. And sometimes that differentiation clearly comes from the supply chain itself, whether it's in, you know, the ability to customize a product to a particular customer's needs or business lead time. It, it could be a wide, wide variety of yeah. uh, business drivers there. So I think that supply chain today, even in a COVID world, is more about serving the customer and serving the customer as reliably as possible with a quality product that, oh, by the way, allows my business to grow and be profitable. Yeah, I agree. It's a customer experience exercise, right? Yeah. If you think about it from that standpoint, it absolutely is that. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, there's really only one job. Get the jam out. <laughs> right. Pump up the jams. So this is a Really a trap, man. We have a ton of questions here. Comments. This is kind of a trap question by Peter, but I want to I want to surface this. What would you recommend as a best in class ERP system for a manufacturing environment other than SAP? Tom Raftery. Tom liked that question. Yeah, Tom, cover your ears. Let me tell you that I don't think that an ERP in and of itself really matters. SAP probably has some great features for manufacturing relative to Oracle or whoever else out there. But how you configure it and the how you construct it is the important part. First of all, SAP has been doing some innovative things lately, speaking innovatively lately about making the product more configurable rather than customizable. The difficulty comes in, in how you implement an ERP. SAP, for instance, didn't work for Purina and not work for Nestle, right? Purina implemented it 
better than Nestle did. So arguably, right? So many intangible factors that become tangible in the process, like what consulting firm you pick, whether you buy a, a 10 or $20 million piece of technology, and then you try to get it to, to do your old processes faster, mm-hmm. which are probably flawed, or whether you embrace evolution in your processes as you're, as you're going through the implementation process, there, whether it becomes political, whether there's buy-in at the corporate level and that sort of thing. I don't deal a lot with Fortune 500 companies these days, so I, w- I never recommend an ERP as such. I think there is so much great cloud-focused, manufacturing-focused technology. I believe that the best way to eat an elephant is one bite at a time, and rather than spending a lot of money to reconstruct your entire supply chain, it's better to progress through a series of technologies until you recognize that you absolutely cannot survive without the customization that is inherent and required of an, of an ERP. So that's a simple way to put it. There are 100,000 arguments against that, but I think the world is really changing from a technology standpoint. I mean, the way that, the way that we implemented our technology changed you know, from 2006 to 2020, mm-hmm. and that continues. To me, I think there is too much risk in customized technology highly configurable technology that allows you to undo it, let's say for simplicity's sake, or to analyze it and and adjust it better. The blessing of technology today is that it's much, much easier to do that because the structures of the technology enable that so much greater. Right. And and I think some of those structures, just about if I can be really specific in, in the area of like cloud-based applications, yeah. right? Where where your supplier, if you will, whomever that is, if it's SAP or Oracle or Infor or whomever from an ERP perspective, when you engage with a solution that's cloud-based, part of your value proposition is that you will be evergreen. You do not want to get landlocked on a highly customized version of the software that three years later, it's like doing a massive re-implementation. You want those small incremental updates. So just like we were talking that we need to always be learning, your systems need to always be learning as well and getting smarter over time and giving you increasingly more flexibility and more insight about your business, your customers, your capabilities. And you can do that with cloud-based solutions, especially those in the area of supply chain. I think I think it's, dan- dan- it's slightly dangerous to presume that an ERP is the answer. I, yeah. I think you have to analyze your business more deeply than that to understand what kind of technology may be the answer. Because in so many areas, you know, I talk to the folks at Oracle frequently. You know, they are a mile wide and an inch deep in some areas. So they mm-hmm. buy companies that become part of their suite, and they know that they need to augment those capabilities. There are certain, so many, but very certain areas in supply chain where you need a depth of knowledge and functionality and capability there. And it's really hard when technology has evolved from something, you know, arguably 40 or 50 years ago that was a finance and accounting system into a supply chain system. And, and, you know, even the big ERP players are starting to recognize that. So it's interesting. The list of names we're coming up with Oracle, JDE, QAD, SAP, of course, everyone thinks of SAP first, but I, I think they're, again, it's not about the particular vendor. It's more about the type of technology, and it's really more about analyzing your business to make sure that 
you are collecting a technology that's good. Yeah. And keeping in mind your time to value, right? So you can't afford a three-year implementation. Your business is going to be completely different three years from now than it is today in today's market. So you do need something you can onboard quickly and start driving value with. Yeah. You're laughing. Are you laughing at the questions? I'm laughing because Tom responded to Peter's question oh. that way. What do you mean other than SAP? <laughs> I, I've got one that Felipe sent me. For, for you and me, this is kind of a softball question, but his focus is in the area of, of distribution. And, and Felipe asked why demand planning is so important for a business. Why, if a forecast is always wrong, why right. is demand planning so important? You want me to take that first? You, take the, you can take the first First response to it? Yeah, I think that, you know planning is critical because you, you have to know where your money's going and where it's coming from. Let's put it this way. Financial plans are also wrong, right? Yeah. So that the wrongness doesn't matter. The, the level of wrongness matters. And that's a very technical term. And, and I think we have to acknowledge that planning is important. Planning is a lot like a project plan, right? As soon as it's issued, it's obsolete and you have to constantly adapt. So you have to take a shot. Sometimes that shot is more in the dark than less, but it at least gives you a starting point. Now Mm -hmm. you can do some things that make your, arguably make your forecast more effective, but I think as important demand planning is not just about forecasting. Demand planning is also about what you do with that forecast and the resiliency and responsiveness that you employ in your supply chain because you know your forecast is going to be wrong. And I think that's where a lot of companies, that's where a a lot of companies get lost is they focus on the forecast and they don't have a backup plan. Knowing that the forecast is gonna be wrong, you have to build resiliency in. You have to have continuous responsiveness, right? A tremendous amount of responsiveness. And all of this, by the way, depends on whether what segment of the supply chain you're in. Are you a retailer? Are you a distributor or at distribution level? Or are you a manufacturer? Because some have more data to be more responsive. Some have more need to be more responsive. For instance, if you're touching the consumer every single day, you have to be incredibly responsive because the consumer is fickle and difficult to predict. So you have to be more responsive in that case. For instance, a lot of manufacturers plan 30 days. Let's just pick a number. 30 days. They plan every 30 days. In retail, you have to be monitoring what's actually going on in commerce and replanning based on what you've learned that day and what you expect to happen the next day or even down to the moments, depending on you know how, how effective tight your supply chain is. So I, I think the key thing to understand is that demand planning is is not just forecasting. It's planning how you're going to fulfill that demand, how you're going to do so to minimize risk, minimize cost, and maximize customer experience. Yep. yep. That's and, why it's so important. No, and I, I totally agree with you. So a, a couple of things I want to reinforce. One is the reason we do demand planning is because we can't take an order and fill an order that day 100% of the time. We have lead time associated with market availability of our products. And, and that becomes critically important, especially in large quantities, right? So we have to predict future demand so that we can produce and distribute and have available for the future. Also, another point you made that I think is really important 
that is a, a, a differentiator between forecasting, which is part of demand planning, but not all of demand planning, is the ability to do things like sense demand. So when you talk about demand at retail, that's looking at what's passing through the register. What needs to be replenished? How do I make sure that the next time you're at the grocery store or at uh, Home Depot that you're getting the product you want? It's on the peg. It's available to you. It's on the shelf. So that demand sensing. And then the other thing, when, when market demand is not happening as you anticipated, there are business techniques you can use to stimulate demand. So that's frequently called demand shaping. So that could be price incentives or promotional activity. And very sophisticated companies can add a lot of precision to that across their business. So it could be by channel, it could be by region or location. So it gives you that basis to make a lot of decisions about future operations and short-term operations. So you and I are coming back on that topic. I think we'll do a tech talk on it. Yeah, we should do that. That would be fun. So I got a couple of things. This is interesting. What innovations? So T-Squared always watches us from YouTube. Thank you for keeping our YouTube channel living. Packaging minimization and zero waste in production. Um, P&G has been really aggressive here, but... You know, my concern is not as much with the with the production of the product; it's with the shipping of the product. I see. You know, we did like a whole segment on my frustration with the number of boxes stacked up in my garage after Christmas from shipping, and I felt like we were trying to be pretty conscientious about how how we ordered. So, you know, I think there there's a ton of great work going on there. I really think we, the consumer, need to press brands to be more conscious about that and we will ultimately get you know what we desire there the truth is as long as we're willing to pay for all of this packaging it doesn't matter what png's sustainability goals are right we we really have to be the the arbiter the final we have to vote with our wallets right Mm -hmm. there for that to be implemented so so sophia wants to know so Sylvia and I have actually talked about this possibility that she could start selling her jam. I, my, I, I relayed to her a friend who used to play, who was a very good golfer, wound up becoming a golf pro. His advice to me was don't make your vacation your vocation because then it becomes work, right? So there was a great question here. Oh, this is another one from T-Squared. Are the 40 club people too late to start at the entry to mid-level What's the latest one can get into supply chain management for a career? I don't. I don't think there is a, a too late. I mean, if you've got the if you've got the wherewithal, you've got the spirit, the learning spirit. If you understand those things that we talked about, it's a customer experience exercise. It's a risk management exercise, right? And of course, to be cost conscious in doing so, then you have the right frame of mind for this. If you use those as your guiding principles, then you can get into this at any age. I mean, by the way, 40 somethings are, are still millennials. So you're not old. <laughs> and, uh, but along those lines, I think in supply chain, there are skills that are increasingly important, right? So business domain expertise. So knowing the business that you're a part of, understanding the customers, understanding, you know, key suppliers uh, is really critical, but also some of those soft skills, collaboration, 
is really important. And the ability to bring people together around a topic and problem solve. So, you know, chances are if you're yeah. 40 or so T-square, you've probably developed some of those capabilities through your career to date. So think about kind of how do I apply those to solve or serve the area of supply chain? And, and you know, you know my belief, supply chain is the business, right? So if you're a product business, supply chain is absolutely essential to your survival. So yeah. whether, whether you're in a customer-facing role or a supplier-facing role, these, these skills are really important. All right. I'm going to take two quick questions from Nerfad because I feel like we have to get these out of the way. Who do I think is the only team to stand in the way of a repeat? Wait, do you think the only team to stand in the way of a repeat is the Bills? And the answer to that is unequivocally yes. There's no one else in the AFC that can beat the Chiefs. I am deathly afraid of Josh Allen and that defense. Ultimately, I think we can wear out about the Chiefs can wear out about any defense, but that is that team and that quarterback is born. They are born again. Uh, it's a very impressive team and they strike fear into my heart. Paul Noble also asked me, that's one of the questions we got on Instagram yesterday was Chiefs or Browns this weekend. Paul, I love you. I love you like a brother, but I think you know the answer to that question. And then just one more from Nerfad. Favorite go-to tequila. My favorite go-to tequila is Tears of Girona. So this is an ancient, it's an ancient myth about Indian Mexican woman who lost her children anyway, but the, it's a very, very good tequila at a very, very high price. I have to interject a question that came in from Ming on that. And, and this is not going to surprise you, but it was, question was, did Greg drink tequila before starting Tequila Sunrise. I think we're trying to get at where, did, where exactly did that name come from? So it really came from the tech, kind of like tech talk. Yeah, yeah. Right? Sometimes I just sit around and these things come to mind. I think people would be surprised to learn that I am, I'm like this all the time. This is not <laughs> drug induced. Uh, I, know it, I know it probably feels like it and yeah. seems like it a lot of the time, but as I've told many, many people, I wasted my youth getting, not not getting wasted. I feel like I should have because I've met many friends who are very successful and had a lot of fun in high school. So yeah, that I was trying to think of something that included tech and I don't know, it just came to me. I, you know what? And it could be true. It could also be true that Clay may have helped me with that. I don't know why I'm oh, recollecting this right now. Now it's getting more interesting. Okay. If he had some input there, he'll have to remind me. Okay. There were no shots involved in actually naming the show. No, no tequila was harmed in the making of okay. this title. Okay. So. Just checking. Just checking. Yeah. Uh, but Tears of Urona, that if you can do it, do it. Part of the inspiration was actually a friend of mine who is big in the tech industry and a te and a tequila connoisseur, a guy named Gregor Purdy. So let's see. What else do we got here? Man, Nerfad is busy. Oh, okay. So AA... Thank you. And yes. What, what is that? I was wondering. So, uh, the 150th anniversary of Wichita State was recently, oh. was recent. And, and AA having some pull at Wichita State scored me this little name tag. And it says my college, the college that I graduated from at Wichita State, College of Liberal Arts and Sciences. <laughs> you can tell I was a great student. <laughs> 
so yes, thank you, AA. And and he can see he can see there's a statue back here also, uh, the keeper of the plains, which is a big statue by Black Bear Boson, one of the Indian members of our community. And so he, that's what he's calling out here, the keeper of the plains. So, gotcha. All right. So let's take a look. What else? How do I get that 19 gallon coffee thermocup? That it's not, it's, uh, it feels like it ought to be bigger, but it's only 24 ounces and you can buy it at any, any sporting goods store. <laughs> Items in the camera, closer to the camera seem larger than uh, those that are far away. Yeah, that's right. Let's see. Oh yeah. So Sophia, there we go. Oh, S Sophia lives. Sophia, are you in Jalisco? I don't remember, but she might be our, she might be a bootleg source for us. Oh. Not that I would encourage that. Wow. So I, Sneha, I know you have some ideas. We've talked a little bit about this. Someone who is trying to build something new, innovate in the world of supply chain. Two things. One is study the market without presumption. Meaning if you're trying to innovate and you want the market to ad adopt something Market research is the most important thing you do, and most people do it wrong. Most people go out and say, I have this idea. What do you think? And really what they're asking is, if I build it, will you buy it? But really what you need to do is, you need, I just had this discussion at breakfast today. You need to go into the marketplace and understand uh, where your market is and, and ask them, what are the things that vex you, that, that trouble you, that challenge you the most in your supply chain? And why do you feel like it's not being solved today? Because you just might find out that there isn't room for innovation. They just don't know the product that already exists that could solve their problem. And I see a lot of that. There are a lot of people doing the same thing in a different way, right? It's difference yep. without a distinction. So learn more about the marketplace. Learn about them, their partners, their problems, their you know, their challenges, their opportunities, their goals, and really deeply investigate that with an open mind. And I mean, weeks, months, challenge, challenge what you learn even the first time from talking to the marketplace. So, yeah, I, and the thing that I would add to that, I, all of that advice is, is spot on my experience. Uh, the thing that I would add is you look at who you think your ideal client is, make sure, yes, that it's a problem, it's a business challenge but make sure they're willing to pay to mm. solve that problem and understand how much that problem is worth to them. Just, just so you're not solving a problem that can be easily solved inexpensively in another way. So you need to drive through and make sure that there's enough leverage there, one, that the problem exists in many places. Therefore, your solution or your, your product offering um, would have pull in several different um, scenarios but you also need to have an understanding of value and what the value is in solving that problem. Yeah. And just because somebody says they will pay for it mm -hmm. doesn't mean they will. The, the truth is that's sort of how this process typically goes. I have this idea. Would you buy this when it's ready? Yeah, absolutely. There's no, there's no cost in saying that. One of the ways that I have seen people figure out that there is something that people will pay for is if is it, and Sneha mentioned this earlier, if someone is using their own means, their own time to construct something internally to try to solve that problem, if they've built a spreadsheet 
or they've hacked together some sort of system or something like that, even if that system is, is suboptimal, if someone has put their own time into solving that problem, into creating a solution that improves their lot in life, then that's something they will pay for. Just because they say they pay, they won't, they would pay, they won't necessarily, right? Nobody wants to hurt your feelings. Gosh, okay. I was worried we wouldn't get enough questions, but there you uh, go. Yeah, and I feel like we've missed some. So apologies, gang. I mean, there's so many comments here. It's really, really hard to scroll through them. Corinne, I have I have a couple here that I got that I would love to th- to throw past you. Okay. I already threw I already threw you kind of a curveball here, but one one of them is, you know, one of the discussions I heard and I frankly didn't agree with was who owns inventory. Uh-huh. So, so in an organization, and and you can qualify this, but in an organization, who have you seen owning, meaning taking accountability for for the inventory in the enterprise. Yeah. So, I mean, that question, that is a lightning rod for a lot of businesses. <laughs> I have a feeling we could reignite all the comments. We are going to have, you know, very different views of who owns it, which means if it's not, sell- everybody wants to own it. If it's selling and moving fast, if it's slow moving or obsolete, you don't want to be the one owning it, right? Then it's going to be pushed off to somebody else owns it. So, I frequently call this question a lightning rod because the worst, the two worst questions you get is one, everybody owns it, or two, nobody owns it. So I, I think if you have a well-established sales and operations planning process and team, that team needs to own it because that team will be comprised of sales leadership, inventory or supply chain leadership manufacturing leadership, distribution leadership, executive leadership. And these resources are the ones that are making the big decisions and looking at risk mitigation or harnessing new opportunities. Everybody needs to understand what it means. Accounting does not own inventory, right? They're the ones reporting on it and telling you what your carrying cost is, but they're not the ones looking at inventory as a strategic weapon for the business. How do I deploy my ability to produce and move goods to market in order to grow the business or uh, expand profitability for the business to solve those needs for customers? So if you go back in your businesses and your answer is nobody owns it or everybody owns it or manufacturing owns it, that's not the right answer. You need some accountability around it and a better understanding of what your inventory turns are, what's comprised in there, how much is fast moving or slow moving, what margin contribution there is on those goods. So, and all this stuff gets me excited. I know that sounds crazy, but that this is all digital supply chain planning. Back to one right. of our earlier questions, but the ability to analyze that and set appropriate or optimal inventory policies based off of inventory's form and function for the business, that allows you, again, to use those levers to differentiate your business in the market. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree. You know, it used to be before there was a supply chain department or a logistics department or whatever, it seems like everybody reported up through finance, yep. right? Because there's so, you know, inventory is often the largest asset a company has. Right. Especially if they don't own their own real estate. The only asset that they own that is of greater value ever is real estate. So 
it's a it's an incredibly important item on the balance sheet and and the PL statement. Yeah. All right, so let's we probably need to start winding this down or or Scott's going to give us the hook. So Clay, I, I appreciate you posing this question back to the audience. Thank you, right? I mean, I think it's okay to challenge the audience here. I warned them we might have a question for them. The the ah. the answers are not far some not far off and some downright hilarious music advanced math arts and there is actually one who is correct and i can't say that i'm surprised at who it is who got the correct answer so is that uh, it is it that's Dave? it political science quick color commentary i graduated college in 1989 i was a soviet specialist a political soviet specialist I was going to be a, let's just say diplomat. And, and, and in 1989, and I was going to go on to get a master's in, in Soviet politics. But in 1989, November, you all might recall, or some of you that were alive then might recall that the wall came down. So there was no real need to have Soviet specialists. So I had to get a J-O-B. Dang, very interesting. Do, do you speak Russian by any chance? Uh, not by any chance, as a matter of fact. I, that's one of the things that I was going to learn in my master's program was going to be that. But I do have an uncle who speaks Russian and Chinese. Fascinating. That, right? Fascinating. So, all right. I think we probably ought to wind this down. We still have questions left that people asked us. I think in a way we've answered a few of these by answering some of the others. And I, I just really appreciate everybody sharing this time with us. And, and of course, <laughs> they're fod. He speaks a little bit. <laughs> Corinne, I really appreciate you doing this. I don't know why you keep falling for this, but I really appreciate that. I really appreciate. Yeah. Right. Sylvia, that, that ended my career right there. Tear down that wall, but I really appreciate you doing this. It's fun. Uh, and I think interesting. I think we learned a little bit about you though. Nobody asked you if that was your real hair color. <laughs> and I would never do that. So it's it's funny. People take you much more seriously, obviously, than me. I can't <laughs> so, imagine why. I really I can't imagine why they would do that. But <laughs> but thank you, <laughs> Greg. This has been a lot of fun. I would love to do this again sometime if we want to kind of look at the calendar and maybe maybe once every you know a couple months we can do a yeah. session like this. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'd love I'd love to get, expose some of your the topics that you discuss here because they're so closely related. I talk mostly about the companies, mm -hmm. right, and the investing and the founders and that sort of thing. But you talk about what these innovative companies do, and I think there's a great cross pollinization there. So we'll do that. Uh, we'll have to check the calendar. I'll have your people call my people. Okay. No, well I have my people call your people. Somebody's <laughs> going to call somebody. But anyway, thank you for joining us. And thank you to the entire audience. I'm so sorry we couldn't get to all the questions and some of the funny things that you said, though, Tom Valentine, you will not pull for the Browns saying there. But hey, remember this, that, that Tech Talk and Tequila Sunrise, they are part of the Supply Chain Now network. You can always catch us on podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts from. You can find, we often link to the episodes on LinkedIn or Twitter, or Facebook, or Instagram. So we can be found anywhere. Do listen. Tell a friend. Would you tell a friend if the topic is something that interests you? And subscribe. We're on YouTube as well. 
there's a ton of thought leadership. Uh, we just did a really quick preview of a discussion around our new site at Supply Chain Now, which I, I'm pretty excited about. Corinne, as a masterful chief marketing officer, uh, and Amanda and the team have done a fantastic job in working with our, um, whatever you call them, development group to, to yeah. get the new site put together. To come. Let's not do an unveil yet. We're not quite no, ready. No, no, no. But, but it's yeah. going to be good. I want people to get excited. Yeah. you got like a couple months until we get there. So Absolutely. Look, uh, you know where to find us. Come listen up. And everybody wish Dave and happy birthday. I just wow. saw that here. Happy birthday, so, David. Look, you guys know I really appreciate you joining us. I want to encourage you to do the one thing I always do, and that is acknowledge reality, but never be bound by it. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Bye now. Tequila Sunrise is part of the Supply Chain Now Network, the voice of supply chain featuring the people, technologies, best practices, and key issues in the industry. And hey, listen up. To build your supply chain knowledge, listen to, get this, Supply Chain is Boring, where Chris Barnes connects you to the who's who that got supply chain where we are, point us to where we're going, and take us to the next level. Or check out This Week in Business History with Supply Chain Now's own Scott Luton to learn more about everyday things you may take for granted and pick up quick insights you can use as inspiration and conversation starters. Our Logistics with Purpose series puts a spotlight on inspiring and successful organizations that give first, give forward as their business model. If you're interested in transportation, freight, and logistics, have a listen to the Logistics and Beyond series with the Adapt and Thrive Mindset Sherpa, Jamin Alvidrez, and also check out Tech Talk, hosted by industry vet and Atlanta's own Corinne Bursa, supply chain pro to know of 2020, where Corinne discusses the people, processes, and technology of digital supply chain. For sponsorship information on Tequila Sunrise or any Supply Chain Now show, DM me on Twitter or Instagram at Gregory S. White or email me at greg at supplychainnow.com. Thanks again for spending your time with me and remember, acknowledge reality, but never be bound by it. <laughs>